Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Director of Coaching and Sports Science at Hints to Performance, Pete McKnight. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So really excited to get another fantastic guest on in Pete McKnight on for this episode. So as well as being a direct, sorry, director of coaching and sports science at Hinsa Performance, Pete is also the chairman at the UK, UK Strength and Conditioning Association. So clearly Pete's got an unbelievable CV. Um, so it was great to get him on uh, for a chat. So given that Pete is working with uh, multiple racing drivers, including a number, a number of them from uh, Formula One, that is the main source of discussion, looking at the physiological demands of Formula One, dealing with the G-forces that the drivers are exposed to uh, on a daily basis, really, uh, and also dealing with the amount of data that is, is churned out and fed back to the multiple members of staff that, uh, that these drivers have uh, supporting them. So, fantastic episode with Pete, which I will, uh, well, I'm sure you'll enjoy. I think to be a successful Formula One driver, you have to be interested in, in the data. They, they sit down with the engineers after, after driving and they go through the data and they look at it, they analyze it, they make suggestions, the, the engineers tell them what's happening, they feedback, and some of them have got a real good understanding of the technical side of, of the development of the car and you know so they could get in the car they could do a lap and they could drive back into the, the garage and go oh the front needs lowering by one millimeter it's not right just very quickly before we get into the chat with Pete, i just want to say a massive thanks to vald performance makers of the nordboard for again sponsoring the episode today and giving their uh, unraveled support the podcast to allow it to continue in its current form so definitely encourage you to check them out if you haven't checked them out already um probably best place to uh find them is on uh, their website at valdperformance.com so big episode coming up with pete i know you'll enjoy it speak soon Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today I have the pleasure in speaking to Pete McKnight, who is the Director of Coaching and Sports Science at Hintza Performance. So welcome to the podcast, Pete. Thanks, Rob. Great to be with you. No, it's good to have you, mate. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, do you just want to give us a little bit of an intro on you, your background, and, and what you're currently doing at Hintza? Yeah, so um, I started my career as a strength and conditioning coach in 2001. and um, I've had the privilege of kind of working with lots of different sports through my career. So um, athletics, cricket, tennis, football, alpine skiing, and a number of other sports. Um, I worked at the EIS for four years, so I got a chance to work with um, different sports there as well. And I've worked in Thailand and India and um, now in France and um and Switzerland, where I'm mainly based. Um, so I've kind of had the chance to work with professional sports and amateur sports through four Olympic cycles, summer Olympic cycles and one winter. And um, just 
have this kind of multi-sport background really um but in in strength and conditioning and then more recently the last two and a half years i've been with hints of performance which has been more of a sports science role um and it's been overseeing an excellent team of coaches that we've got mentoring them and um, looking after them from a management point of view as well as having a technical input um, from a sports science point of view and really trying to drive forward the research in formula one mainly nice so is it is it a bit bit like an eas type model where you're overseeing the coaches that are delivering to the in the eas example athletes and in this instance drivers well not exactly but but kind of so um each driver has got their own coach that um that supports them that delivers to them travels the world with them um but then would bring in experts um if if needed so um the coaches are normally from strength and conditioning stroke physiology backgrounds so they're they're kind of full-time trainers but then they'll bring in the experts in nutrition um or sleep and recovery or um physiotherapy biomechanics anything that's needed um doctors for general health and so on um and bring in the experts when needed but they'll deliver a lot of the or most of the day-to-day work with the, with the drivers mm-hmm. so where did hints uh, come from has it always been a has it always been for racing drivers it actually started in motorsports um okay. 15 years ago um, a guy called Dr. Aki Hintzer, who had been an orthopedic surgeon in Finland and also in Ethiopia. Um, and he'd worked with um, Haile Gabriel Selassie and runners over in Ethiopia. And um, he started working um, in Formula One. And um, Hintzer grew from that, basically. And more recently, it's um, grown into a, co- um, a corporate health and well-being company. Um, and we've merged with a technology company, so we we have um, an app that delivers a lot of our um, health and well-being programs. But we're still very very active in motorsports. So when it when it comes to Formula One, obviously the given the season that Formula One has, what what goes on in the off season for the for the coaches at, at Hinsa? Are they still with the athletes in the off season? They're year round. Yeah, so they they live close to the athletes. Um, and they coach them in the off season, so um, January, February, March time, and then the season kicks off, and then they travel with them the whole year. So it's a it's a twelve month a year job, um, so pretty full on. And some horrible locations, no doubt, for Formula <laughs> guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what? So you're overseeing these guys? Do you have a do you have a, a specific person that you work with, or are you just overseeing the guys that that do? So um, I did work with one of the drivers for, for uh, um, about half a year, but now um, I've got a role with eight different drivers. So through their coaches, um, like, I, like I said, kind of um, managing them, mentoring them, um, chatting to them, helping them further their research, improve their delivery and so on. So it's a great role because I've got the privilege of being able to um, be involved in different teams and different drivers. Um, so I'm not attached to, to one individual. Mm-hmm. So on the on the performance side of things, what kind of entourage are the drivers, especially the F1 guys? What what kind of entourage do they have? Um, in in terms of 
training in and terms of it, Yeah, in terms of it, kind of anything to do with their physical performance, is it just the guy from Hintzer or do they have, obviously, are they experts that you talked about and brought in, but they do they have experts of their own in different areas? Generally, the, the guys who um, have Hintzer coaches would get their experts through Hintzer because it's for a long time we've got a trusted relationship or we've got an agreement that we would provide um, not just the physical coach but we would provide sleep and recovery experts or um, mental energy experts psychologists whatever that might be so often they would come through us um, for that and for their medical support as well so um, we've got a guy called Dr. Luke Bennett who works with Formula One and he supports a lot of the drivers and teams in terms of medical support as well so we've kind of got um a high level of expertise in formula one and motorsports within our company so they would normally come through us for for the rest of their entourage if you like so when it comes to the physiological demands of formula one and the kind of things that them guys go through day to day do you just want to talk to a little bit about that yeah so it's interesting because they're obviously sitting in a car and um, not moving a whole lot and the car's doing all the work, but actually it's really demanding phys- uh, physiologically and psychologically. And so we're really trying to quantify that at the moment because if you look at the literature and you look at all the driver science out there, there's a huge void. And um, what we're trying to do at Hintza is fill that void and really get to the bottom of what these guys are actually experiencing. And um, we do know um, some of what's going on um, in terms of what they're, they're, they're um, kind of under in, uh, in terms of the demands of the sport. So we know that obviously there's, there's the heat, and um, so they're driving in often hot countries, humid countries. But even when it's not in a hot country, um, even if they're on the European circuit, it's often really, really hot in there inside their suit. So they've got the, the temperature um, element, but then you've got um, you've got the G-forces that are going on in the car as well. And it's, it's a really aerobic event. So they're actually, their heart rate is at 80% of max for one and a half hours throughout the race. So despite the fact they're sitting strapped to a seat, not moving, their heart is racing at 80% for the whole time. So they are actually working quite quite hard then there's obviously the physiological demands of all the travel so traveling around the world and having to cross time zones and the recovery associated with that and recovery from training as well and um, obviously they want to keep their training going throughout the year they don't just train in the off season but they train as they travel and they train between races Um, you've got the whole reactivity reaction time um, element as well so they're, they're not just kind of sitting there and, and tootling along as you know they're absolutely gunning it and so they've got to have really quick reaction times and and um and so on then there's the vision the coordination the eye tracking element then there's the psychological element as well so there's a lot of demands on them and um, it's not simply sitting there and, and driving a car which i'm guess poses a real unique problem to the guys your guys so what does, what does their training look like? I know that's a horrendously broad question, but in global terms, what's their training look like? Um, well, you know, it's, it's really varied because um, 
the, the aerobic aspect is probably the biggest aspect um, because we know that their heart rate is at 80% and we know that the fitter they are aerobically, the quicker they'll recover and so on. Um, so the aerobic side is, is important, but they're not going to just train like a, a marathon runner or a Tour de France cyclist. They're, there's more to it than that because, like I said before, there's the, the reactivity, reaction time, there's the vision coordination, um, eye-tracking type training. Um, but then there's the, the strength training as well. They need to be strong through their neck and their trunk. Um, they need to be robust through their upper body because obviously they're steering with their arms and their arms are on the steering wheel for an hour and a half and they're, you know, they're moving constantly and, um, there's the resistance of that. There's the resistance to braking as well. So their legs have to be well conditioned. So they need this overall general conditioning and strength aspect, but then they need some real specific strength in, in neck and trunk areas. And then they need that aerobic element as well. So, it's much more than than just kind of go for a run or go for a bike ride. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to um, trunk conditioning for them type of um, exposures that they get in the car day to day or week to week, do you just want to give us, a, if you can, some some specifics about what maybe what they're how they're targeting their areas for them exposures? Um, well, a lot of it would. It's just kind of just general trunk conditioning that you would do yep. um, either complex movements, so whether that might be um, overhead squatting or, or, or squatting where you're, you're holding your trunk isometrically and you're getting conditioned in that way, um, right down to much more specific work, um, some rotation work and flexion extension, um, obviously, um, and then trying to um, avoid all the lower back pain of being in a, a funny seated position for so, so long and not just so long, but for such a big part of their career, um, you know, you're in that seated position. So the lower back pain can be a problem. So doing trunk work to make sure there's a, a balance between the flexors and extensors. Um, and, um, and then the very, very specific work is where you then um, hold isometrically and start um, doing other elements like things with your your arms, like your steering, or begin to bring in some of the vision work as well. But that's the really kind of specific stuff. But I'm I'm much more interested in getting the the, the general work done where you just get strong and well conditioned in your trunk instead of you know sitting on a Bosu ball um, with a steering wheel in your hand and, and that kind of thing. So that's all useful, but that's kind of that that's the that. The icing on the cake, but you need to you need to get your fundamentals and basics in place first. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to the reaction time stuff, which may be slightly more exciting than um, the trunk stuff, is um, is there anything that you can divulge to us with regards to that that side of things? I'm guessing that's something that I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but in a traditional SNC background, coming from a team sport or a um, institute, that's going to be something completely new to these coaches. Yeah. So is there, is there anything that any kind of places of education that they gravitate to, to actually learn that kind of thing and, and get upskilled on that kind of, that kind of area? And what, and what, what does that translate to, to work with the drivers? What's it look like? Yeah. So, um, some of the guys deliver that kind of work and, and nowadays obviously through phone applications and apps on your computer, you can do some of 
a reaction work um, kind of using a computer or using an iPad. And so the coaches can find various um, programs and, and use them on their computer, and that can be really helpful. Um, then also there's other, um, there's kind of vision training centers where you can go to. So we use one in Geneva where there's some experts who, who've designed some software and they use it a lot in the top 14 um, rugby in France. Actually, they get a lot of the rugby players coming and doing a lot of um, coordination and, and vision training and peripheral vision training um, for their catching and throwing. And and um, and they've got a whole setup in this, in this room where, with a big screen and they... They can throw balls in, and so our drivers have been there and done work there. Um, um, so they're working with experts. So we either some of the coaches would come if they're from a, like you said from a um, more traditional SNC background, they would come and they would upskill themselves, and they would go and maybe spend time at various academic institutions with experts who've um, done testing or research in certain areas, and and um, would then take their drivers along to the universities and the institutions and use some of their kit in the labs for training. Or they would go to one of these places like we've got in Geneva where you've got specialists on site who've designed their own software or they've got their own systems and they can measure it. Um, they can give um, some good feedback and it. It can all be, um, it can all be assessed and, and measured and, and we've got some good objective measurements of improvement then. So it's a mixture of either kind of learning a new skill or um outsourcing it to other experts mm -hmm. i just want to ask you something why it's in my mind and i'm guessing there's people listening who are thinking this is sounds cool as hell but it's obviously something that's seems completely removed from the traditional snc pathway what do you look for in and this is completely off off key to what we're discussing but what do you look for in a um obviously head of department when recruiting, what kinds of skills are you looking for to who are going to fit into this type of situation where they're one-on-one -on -one or traveling around the world? Um, we've got a really good recruitment process at Hintza and, um, and we, we look at lots of different elements of character and personality and emotional intelligence and ability to work in a team and all this kind of thing as well as um, people's CVs and their skills. And we first screen them according to their background and their skills and their CV. And then we look at their, their personality and their ability to work with other people within the team and, and so on. And so it's quite um, a rigorous recruitment process. But when I'm looking for a good coach, I like somebody who's come from a good coaching background. So um, we've got... Um, some dual qualified people who work for us. So they would be physios, but they're also, they've done masters in strength and conditioning and they've got lots of coaching um, experience. And I, I like it when people come from a coaching background, because if you're going to work one-on-one -on -one with a, an athlete, you need to know how to coach them. So it doesn't matter how good a physiologist you are or how good a, a physio you are. I would want them to come from a coaching background. So, um, you know, and, and most people would come from a strength and conditioning background because then they've got lots of um, coaching hours under their belt and they've got that practice of coaching. They might then have gone on and got, been qualified in, in physiotherapy or, or been basis accredited in, in um, physiology or gone on and done research in physiology. But most of them would come from a strength and conditioning background where they've got plenty of hours of coaching under their belt. And I look for that because I, I like people to be able to actually 
elicit change in an athlete, spend time with them and actually change, not just spend time with them and download their knowledge of what they read at uni or what they've read in a textbook, but to be able to really coach them as an athlete. As always, just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Pete. So just want to make you aware, um, last year I did a webinar with Dan Baker. So Dan did the webinar on fast-tracking young players uh, and maintaining strength and power. So if you head over to strengthofscience.com, pop your email address into the, into the box when, when prompted and you can get access to that webinar. So as always, anyone that's seen Dan speak or anyone that's got any of Dan's resources, uh, you'll know that they are absolutely superb. So please do take advantage of that. Um, it's there for everyone uh, for free. So just before I get into the part two with Pete, I just want to say a massive thanks to Fatigue Science for sponsoring this episode today. So Fatigue Science are heavily involved in the military and the and heavy industry where sleep can become, well, it is life or death for these guys. So Fatigue Science do uh, know exactly what they're talking about when it comes to sleep. So more and more teams are taking them up and um, I'm hearing that more guys in the UK are hearing about Fatigue Science and, and are interested in taking their, uh, taking their ready band on. So if you haven't heard of Fatigue Science, head over to their website on fatiguescience.com and have a little look and check out why they're becoming the go-to guys for uh, sleep trackers in performance sport. So back to the episode of Pete and hope you enjoy. So when it comes to the data that's churned out on these guys weekly, especially during the season when they're um, around the world, I mean, you can download apps so you can get for all the geeks, F1 geeks out there where there's data coming out of their ears on these on these iPad apps and stuff. But I'm guessing that all that there's there's so much data there. Does that does that get fed back to your guys at Hinsa? And how do they if it does, how much what are they actually using and how does that how is that used to actually affect performance for the following week and the following months? Yeah, so um there's two things. There's well there's the data that comes from the car that the engineers collect. And that's obviously to help them um, tweak the car and make adjustments. But some of that can be really relevant for um, for the coaches as well. So they can request, depending on how good their relationship is with their, their head engineer, their chief engineer, they, they might have a really good working relationship with them so they can request data and they can get um, all the G-force data, they can get... Um, all the braking data, so reaction times on the brake and how long they applied the brake pressure for. Uh, they can get steering data and and then you know so what trajectory they took and how long they were steering one direction and the other direction and so on. So they can get all that kind of performance data. But then if you want, if they want to be collecting data biometrics from the driver, that's a lot more difficult because there's um, regulations in place that doesn't uh, don't allow the drivers to to wear wearables in the car or heart rate monitors or certain devices because of the risk of fire and, and burns. So if you had a heart rate monitor on and you caught on fire, then you could get melted. It could really do damage and burn your skin. So there's loads and loads of regulations. So we have this problem that we're trying to collect data, but we're not allowed 
to put anything on the drivers. But that's slowly changing because we're working with the, the authorities and we're looking at different ways of using in-ear telemetry or in-glove telemetry to collect um, various bi biometrics and to be able to measure what the driver's doing. So in terms of the data we get from them, um, so the day-to-day -day and week-to-week, it's mostly training data. So, you know, how many sessions they've done, how much they've lifted, um, and, and so on. So we don't have loads and loads of physi physiological data from the car. Yeah, I was going to say that with with what's going on in kind of media-wise and feeding that data on, on screen, I'm guessing there is a big push for that to happen because that can be potential money for broadcasting and all that kind of scenario. Absolutely. You know, I, I would love to see more kind of interactive viewing where there's loads of data that comes up on the screen. Um, it would make, the, it'll make the, the sport loads more exciting. And actually the great thing is that the new, the new owners of Formula One and Liberty Media, they are a media group. And so they, they understand this and they're trying to market Formula One in America. It's an American group that have bought Formula One. And they're just trying to take it to the next level media-wise. And I think if they can start putting some of this driver data on the screen, then it becomes like a game of top trumps. And it makes it you know, more exciting to watch and, and people interact with it more and, and so on. So I'd love to see that happen. And if Hintzer can play a role in, in helping facilitate that, then, then brilliant. I'm guessing that because of so much data that's, um, that's generated by the car, the driver's are interested in the data that's um, driven from that got from them. I'm guessing, like unlike a, maybe a team sport that's difficult to get buy-in through players. I'm guessing for the drivers, it's just the more the merrier. Yeah, I mean, I think to be a successful Formula One driver, you have to be interested in, in the data. They they sit down with the engineers after after driving and they go through the data and they look at it, they analyze it, they make suggestions, the, the engineers tell them what's happening and they feedback. And, and some of them have got a real um, good understanding of the technical side of, of the development of the car. And, you know, so they could get in the car, they could do a lap and they could drive back into the, the garage and go, oh, the front needs lowering by one millimeter. It's not right. Or something like that, you know. Um, so they're really, really sensitive to the car. And so because of this um, this relationship that they've got with the, the car and the data that's come come from that, it's much easier to get the buy-in for the physiological data. You know, So they're interested in what, what's happening and what their body is doing and, and so on. And I think one of the things we're going to see in the future, and we're actually seeing already, is that teams in the past have spent loads of money on the, the car, and it's all about developing the car, and, and so on, but now we're going to see an increase in spending from teams on the human side um, because that's where you can make some really big gains, and, and that hasn't happened in the past. But now, because of technological advancements and the use of micro technologies, and, and like I said, you can use different telemetries like in ear and in glove, and so on. I think we're going to see teams spending a lot more on on the driver science and not just on the car. And um, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. So is there any other directions that you think it may go in the future with F1? Um, yeah, I mean, I, like, I, like I said, um, the, 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 the driver science side, 
because because that's um, often technology driven as well, and because it's a very kind of technology driven sport, and and it's all about innovation and technology with the car. If we start using more and more innovations and technologies with the driver, then that's much easier to get buy-in for because it's it's kind of the same sort of thing and it's what they're used to and 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 so the more we can kind of measure with technology, the more we can kind of get the buy-in for that. But I think um, that there's so many sides to um, to driving and it's not just the the physiological, but you've got the psychological side, you've got kind of the whole the, the whole medical side, you've got the technology. So it, it's a mixture of physiology, psychology, medicine, technology, all rolled into one. And I think we're going to see kind of scientific innovations in all these areas, that, and, and we are, and that's where the kind of the future is going, that it's not just kind of one area. So what are the teams like for sharing this type of technology? Is it is it quite... Um, individualized with the teams or is it a collective as a as a formula one this is what the group is doing um it's quite individualized so the different coaches that i'm working with and that um i'm kind of managing from a hinsa point of view they've all got different areas of interest different areas of expertise so they would all be looking into different things with their drivers and um you know different areas of improving performance and and um so it's that makes it really interesting because nobody's kind of they're not all looking at the same thing. But some of them are related areas, and and that's great because then that that helps move the field on. But um, it's funny because on one level it's very kind of secretive, and the teams don't share much, and um, they're developing different things. But then on the other hand, people do talk as well, and and. I think the attitude some of the coaches have got is, well, let's move the sport on, let's share our ideas, let's try um, really make improvements on the human performance side and move the sport on and then let the drivers fight it out between themselves because that's what real competition is, that's what pure competition is. So, you know, we're not giving anything away by talking and sharing ideas because we're just moving the sport forwards and we're moving strength and conditioning and physiology forwards as a sport. And then we let the drivers fight it out and battle it out out on the track. And I, I quite like that attitude because that that's collaborative and that's all about science and moving you know move, moving science forward. So with regards to the research on the on drivers, it, what what is out there currently? Well, um, there is. There's not loads, but there's enough in terms of to get the basic ideas of um, kind of what their heart rate is, but there's not much from form Formula One. So there's there's lots from driving in general and motorsports, but it might be in NASCAR or, um, or other categories of racing, but there's not much from Formula One because Formula One's been a bit exclusive and people haven't really had access to the drivers. And, and also in the past, the coaches working with, Formula One drivers have typically been just kind of your fitness coaches and, and or personal trainers, whereas kind of Hints has really changed that and they've brought in experts in strength and conditioning and science and physiology. Um, so there is stuff out there, but it's very, very basic. And so we're trying to kind of um, take it to the next level and really get some specifics found out about the actual demands of the, the sport and what is going on and 
trying to quantify that and trying to quantify how fit the drivers are. Um, what are the physiological and anthropometric characteristics of a driver, for example? Because um, that's not been, you know, that's not been actually written up. That's not nobody's gone out and said this is what it is. Um, so there are papers out there, and there's some interesting research. But for me, it's just the start. And um, now I think there there needs to be a whole lot more research done. So one thing I didn't want to forget was the the impact that the psychological side is having on these guys. Obviously, terracing around a track at 200 plus miles an hour, there's obviously a massive psychological aspect. And on the flip side of that, there's also the huge hype that goes with these guys. You see it on the track before the, on the track walk and there's hounded by hundreds of people. And that's seems like 20 minutes before they get in the car and do what I said at the start, which is terracing around at 200 plus miles an hour. What, how, how are, or do your guys have a, um, kind of involved in the strategy with dealing with all that kind of thing? I'm guessing it's, it's a, um, a specialist area. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of aspects to the psychological side, um, and and it's huge actually. And um, you touched on some of the things there. And I think different drivers deal with it in different ways. Some of them really they love the hype and the attention, and they use it to spur them on. Others, um, you know, it just it, it just doesn't affect them, and they kind of block themselves, block it out, and and they'll have different tools and strategies that they use to prepare themselves for racing. But there is the whole side of being able to control your emotions and, and stay positive and stay focused. And I'd say focus and attention in uh, both massive areas because there's a huge, um, there's, there's lots going on. There's a high cognitive load when driving because, um, as you said, you know, you're driving at high speed, but then there's lots and lots of decision making to do. They've got, on their steering wheel, they've got over 20 buttons, dials, and rotaries that they use. And every single corner, they're pressing a, a different button, um, whether that's something to do with the braking, or the torque, or the differential, um, or, or the turbo, or something. Or then you've got the paddles as well for shifting gears and, and, and clutch. And so they're, they're doing lots and lots, pressing buttons and, and all that, whilst approaching a corner at 300 kilometers an hour and and so on so there's lots and lots and lots going on so you've got this high cognitive load and decision making aspect but then you've got the side of things that you spoke about that you've got the distraction from the fans and the controlling your emotions and 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 that kind of side of the psychological um coin as well so um i think it is a challenge and and a lot of them do a lot of psychological work and use different strategies but also you've got to remember that they've kind of grown up in the sport and so they've developed as they've gone along so a lot of them already have good strategies in place or have already well developed psychologically or quite strong psychologically or have got this far because of intuitive um, strategies that they use so um, it's a mixture of obviously they all have areas of improvement and they, they do work with psychologists and they we do have um, experts that come in and work with them, but a lot of them have been working on it for years and years as they've gone up through the categories of racing. When there's when there's high-profile incidents and crashes and injuries and that kind of thing, well, how have you seen that affect the drivers? Does it affect the drivers? 
guessing it does. How can it? How can it not? Yeah, you know, um, it it does affect them. And I thought in in the last, um, in the last race there there was a um, there was a crash where um, Pierre Berline turned his car over, and um, Sebastian Vettel, who was re- leading the race, just said down the radio to his engineer, "Is he okay?" Um, he just wanted to know if he was all right. And I thought that was really nice because, you know, he's out there at the front leading the race and he, he heard or he saw that there was a crash because he obviously passed him and saw, saw his car turned up on its side up against the barriers. And um, he wanted to know if he was all right. So it definitely does affect them. And you know, they, these guys know each other really well because they travel the world together, even though they're in separate teams, they see each other a lot and, and they, you know, they race the same people week in, week out. And so they do care about each other and it has an impact. So, yeah, I thought that was a nice touch. So anyone that is interested in this side of things and, and uh, Hinter in particular, where can people get to know a little bit more? If you go to our website, Hinter.com, um, there's information on there or follow us on Twitter. Just do a search for Hinter. If that hints at perform, um, but I would say start there. Um, we often put um, jobs up there on hints.com um, forward slash careers, I think it is. Um, but that, they often get tweeted when there's jobs coming up. But I would say, um, yep, yeah, go go on our website and have a look, and you'll be able to find out a lot about the company. Um, follow me on Twitter if you want. I often tweet jobs when they're coming up or stuff about the company as well and um there's you know there, there's some great people in our company and and um a lot is happening and it's it's a growth company we're at a growth stage we've really exploded over the last couple of years so um, i'm excited to see what the future holds superb well thanks for your time pete really appreciate it and um no doubt we'll be in touch shortly yeah can i just mention a couple of things actually about gosh can coming up so um a few things that we're kind of trying to do to really make an impact on the the area of human performance is that we've got a peer-reviewed journal that we're hoping to launch later on um oh nice on the early next year which would be a human performance journal spanning those areas that i talked about earlier of physiology physiology psychology medicine and technology where the, the technology relates to improving the human side not just the technological side but um, the human performance side and um, we'll be looking to publish research and provide an evidence base for our work but also other people's work so provide this forum for people to share um, to share and publish work in human performance and um, so that's really exciting about our journal and also then we want to um, have a human performance co- annual conference that we that we lead and host where we can get the great minds from all around the world and researchers and practitioners together under one roof to to present and share ideas and just really push the boundaries of performance forwards through through research, through practice and through sharing. So they're kind of a couple of things that are coming up to, to look out for um, and you'll be able to find out information on our website and on Twitter for that. But I'm pretty excited about that and they're kind of two of the projects that I'm really working hard on over the next phase. Nice. Sounds exciting. Is that is that a, the plan to have the conference in uh, in Switzerland? It'll probably be in the UK. Just okay. Uh, 
quite easy and central, but it, it will, the first one would probably be in the UK, but after that it could move, it could be anywhere. Nice. Superb. And when's that, when are you thinking about them two things launching, the journal and the conference? So nothing's set in stone, but it would, it would be if we could launch the journal early next year, January time, and then the conference next summer. Um, so maybe around the Silverstone Grand Prix um, in the summer. Um, but like I said, nothing set in stone. It's, this is, we're still um, working towards it, but that's, that's what I'd love to see. Sounds good. Well, like I say, we'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely stay in touch. And thanks again for your for giving up your evening to have a little chat. Thanks, Rob. Great to chat to you. Keep doing the good right, stuff. Pal. Thank you, mate. Appreciate that. Speak soon. Cheers. Take care. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Pete. Just a final reminder, make sure you subscribe on your chosen podcast player if you are enjoying the content of the Pacey Performance Podcast. If you are enjoying it so much that you want to give a rating and review on iTunes, that would be massively appreciated and just help spread the word and get the message out there that there's some good guys coming on the podcast and spreading some really good information. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast and got some good guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. As always, I will speak to you soon.